the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. If you watched Joe Biden's speech yesterday from the White House before he got back to his vacation, you know that the president spent a fair amount of time blame shifting and excusing the humiliating events that have transpired in Afghanistan. You've heard my opinion on the matter yesterday. Today, I wanted to bring on an expert in these matters. So we reached out to Cedarville University and they kindly provided Dr. Glenn Dewar. He is a professor of international studies at Cedarville, which begins classes tomorrow with no masks. Good for them at Cedarville. So thank you for your time today, Dr. Doerr. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, this is to me a disgrace in light of the fact that we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I think this casts a pall over the anniversary of that horrible event. And I wonder, as this has played out in Afghanistan with people running down the runway, clinging to airplanes, trying to get out, uh, very scared for their future under Taliban rule. Uh, Has this unfolded the way you anticipated, or has this unfolded in a way that's been much more of an embarrassment than you anticipated? Unfortunately, it didn't surprise me. The the Taliban has a a long history of, of this type of behavior of retreating to the mountains when fought directly, and then seizing an opportunity when they sense weakness. Uh, We saw it with the Soviet Union in the the 1980s. There were then three successive civil wars in Afghanistan where the Taliban basically used the same playbook uh, and captured control over the vast swaths of the country and then governed the country from 1996 to 2001, And really, the same playbook has been utilized with uh, the announced withdrawal of U.S. and NATO troops. Uh, Really, the the swiftness of it, I think, took a lot of people by surprise. But the uh, actual outcome, uh, I think, was predictable. Okay, so is this at the top a failure of presidential leadership? Is this, first and foremost, a failure of military insight, intelligence? They expected this to happen but on a much slower timetable than it happened. And I have to believe that we would have had a much different plan for getting people who had helped us in Afghanistan out of there had they had a more accurate timetable on how soon this kind of a disaster would unfold. It's a bit of both. Uh, On the one hand, uh, former uh, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates has described President Biden as someone who gets the big foreign policy issues wrong, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I think that's an example of this. Even though you know there have been some successes on on different levels on, on big issues, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, President Biden has, has often picked the the wrong option. In terms of the intelligence community, from what I understand, there was a very robust debate about what would happen, how the Taliban would respond. But ultimately, 
the side that thought, okay, the Afghan uh, military forces would be able to hold out, uh, ended up winning the debate. Uh, and uh, I think many within the intelligence community that saw the, the uh, prospect of a swift Taliban success uh, lost, but those, those voices were still uh, out there uh, in the debate. Unfortunately, uh, they were not listened to uh, as they should have been. Dr. Glenn Doerr is our guest. He is an associate professor of international studies at Cedarville University. You mentioned the Russians and Afghanistan, and I remember that well. Uh, what an epic struggle, disaster it was for Russia in Afghanistan. That was my concern when we got into Afghanistan. I understand why we got in there, and I think we needed to get in there. Did we have or lose focus on what our mission should have been in Afghanistan? I think a lot of people have said, well, we can't build a nation where that kind of a nation doesn't want to be built. But I looked at the investment we had in terms of our military still on the ground there, somewhere around 3,000. We hadn't had a combat casualty since February of uh, 2020. It seemed to me similar to situations we have around the world in Kuwait and Korea and Germany. We keep troops in places to advise, to keep the peace, to do what had been done in Afghanistan to keep the Taliban from coming back and gaining power. So I guess I'm a little bit mystified as to why we didn't learn any lessons from the Soviets and why we seem to be departing from our strategy that we clearly practice elsewhere around the globe. It's a great point because the U.S. military has a long history of success in those types of cases. Uh, The U.N., um, for all of its challenges, often has very successful peacekeeping operations by keeping a minimal force just to keep uh, the lid on on issues. And so when the United States withdrew from seven different bases in Afghanistan, including Bagram, I think the, the writing was on the wall. It was an invitation to the Taliban to move forward, whereas uh, a minimal troop force can be uh, very successful, especially when it can call in air support um, from a range of different bases uh, elsewhere in the Middle East and Central Asia. And so uh, I don't think this is something that had to happen. Uh, obviously, there's the expenditure issue. Uh, you know, how long should the United States be in Afghanistan? How much should it cost? But really, uh, I think it, it just required a, a, a difference in wording. The, the war is effectively over. This is just a, an operation in order to maintain stability in a very unstable part of the world. Well, I reject the cost argument that people make. I know you're not making it because those are sunk costs. You're not going to retrieve those costs. And I think our investment now, is it better to be all the way out or is it better to have left behind millions of dollars in military equipment and a military base? And and to say nothing of the optics. I mean, I said yesterday on my show that any serviceman who's questioning why did I do what I do serving in the Middle East? Don't question that. You did a valuable service, an invaluable service. You kept us, helped keep us safe for 20 years. I'm not so sure we're that safe going forward because now Afghanistan is clearly a place where the kinds of attacks that we went there to avenge have a base to be launched once again. Absolutely, and it really depends on the angle that the Taliban takes moving forward. They're probably going to take some time to consolidate power in Afghanistan, but uh, that part of the world, there's a very complex ethnic patchwork. And the Taliban, they're they're made up of Pashtuns in terms of a majority, but also Tajiks and a range of different ethnic minorities in the area. And so plausibly, the Taliban could look to expand its influence in Pakistan. The Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan has 
really spoken very positively about the Taliban, but he could come to eat his words. Uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, neighboring countries in Central Asia all have uh, autocratic governance governments with some weaknesses. The Taliban could exploit that. They do not see kind of a Western conceptualization of a nation state. Uh, they're looking to expand themselves. The other big player in the region is is China, and through its Belt and Road Initiative, has really moved into Pakistan, some $46 billion in terms of investment there. They're looking for mineral rights in Afghanistan. But it's also a deal with the Taliban that could uh, clamp down on their own Uyghur issue within the, the west of the country, a brutal, uh, what I would describe as genocide uh, against the Muslim-majority population of Xinjiang province, there are connections with the Taliban in Afghanistan ethnically and ideologically. And so I think China's really going to try and exert its influence there. And so not only has the United States lost its uh, bases, uh, given over millions of dollars in terms of weaponry, but it's really opened the door for an expansion of China's power into the Middle East and to Central Asia. Dr. Glenn Doerr, Cedarville University, our guest on The Bruce Hooley Show here on 98.9 The Answer. Uh, as an associate professor of international studies, I'd like for you to gauge the U.S. and any kind of partnership in that part of the world always seemed uh, fraught with all kinds of peril because, I mean, just look at it really simply. A lot of these people are chanting death to America. They don't seem to voice any kind of great desire to partner with us. Uh, what about a possible partnership, alliance, working relationship between the Taliban and China? Is that more? Are they more similarly aligned, or is it the same kind of clumsy alliance as it would have been when we were over there trying to save people from a faction of people that want to kill us? It could be a very clumsy alliance. Uh, they're not naturally uh, connected. Uh, China has. Uh, committed grave atrocities against its own Muslim population. So I don't see that going well. But at the same time, uh, China has pumped in massive, massive amounts of money uh, in terms of infrastructure elsewhere. And so there is the possibility where uh, the Taliban will take the deal, where they will take the money, and provided that the Chinese keep at arm's length, uh, they, they may have something that works. I don't think it's going to work in the long term. There are too many uh, obstacles in that relationship. Uh, but it's difficult to know. China has uh, really vastly expanded its network since 2013 uh, across uh, the Middle East, across Central Asia, into Eastern Europe, parts of East Africa. Uh, and so they, they do have models where this has had some success um, how they manage it is the big question moving forward. That's a very interesting point. I'd like to explore that with you a little bit more and also get into how allies of the United States around the world may be and should be viewing what they see playing out in Afghanistan in terms of how it impacts our relationship with them and what they can count on from us going forward. Uh, we will get to that. Uh, very shortly on The Bruce Hooley Show with Dr. Glenn Doerr of Cedarville University. Thanks for listening to The Bruce Hooley Show. Hope you're getting accustomed to the new time schedule. We start every day at 11 a.m. and extend until 1 p.m. We'll hand it off to Dennis Prager at 1 p.m. The Charlie Kirk Show will air in our formal time slot 
from 5 to 7 p.m. And at a quarter after 12 today, we're going to be joined in studio by Omar Tarazi. Omar is uh, a city councilman in Hilliard. Omar ran for the 15th Congressional District Republican nomination, won by Mike Carey. I want to chat with Omar about his perspective on all these world events as a Muslim and also on his perspective running for Congress. What did he learn? What did he learn about our government? What did he learn, positive or negative, about the experience and whether things can be hmm, fixed, turned around, impacted by someone such as himself, a citizen who tries to serve his country in that way. Right now, let's finish our conversation with Dr. Glenn Doerr of Cedarville University, who has been kind enough to hold with us through the break. And Dr. Doerr, we were talking about China and the Taliban. Yeah, they strike me as uh, two kind of operationally similar factions in that they're going to take what they can take. And if the opportune moment comes to take advantage and double cross the other, they will. And, And in that vein, I think what resonates for me here with this situation, we can focus on Afghanistan and the optics are terrible. The president being not in the White House, being quote unquote on vacation at the time this really went south is a terrible optic. But I think, and I'd love to get your perspective, Dr. Doerr, the larger view of this is American allies, Taiwan, Israel, two very imperiled nations. What, in your view, are they to take away from what they have seen America allow on this stage in Afghanistan? It's certainly a a significant time of weakness. And uh, for anyone that disagrees, I would say just take a survey of Chinese and Russian newspapers over the course of the last few days. Many have been uh, basically promoting the, the weakness of the United States uh, and really the downfall of, of a U.S.-led uh, Washington consensus. In terms of major U.S. allies, and there are many in, in East Asia, um, through the Middle East, uh, from uh, Israel, Kuwait, Qatar, uh, all the way through uh, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, Uh, There have long been concerns about what happens if the United States retrenches. What do we do uh, in the event that the United States is not there? And this extends to India as well. And so it's it's a real challenge in terms of sticking to one's word. And I think that the Biden administration and future administrations are going to have to pay very close attention to this because there is a loss of confidence uh, I don't think it's irreversible. I think the United States military on many metrics is still the most powerful in the world. We have reserve powers in the United States that are uh, enviable to those in, in China and Russia. Uh, but really, we have to stay very closely connected to our allies and provide significant reassurances right now. Because as you mentioned, the optics on this are, are terrible in many ways. So let's wrap with this uh, final question, Dr. Glendur of Cedarville University. What's done is done. How do we save face? What would be uh, the most prudent move for us from this point forward? It's going to be very difficult, but I think the next week is pivotal. What we're seeing in Herat and Mazari Sharif and Kandahar, major cities that the Taliban have taken already, is that the Rights of women have already eroded. Uh, Women that were able to go out into the streets just a week or two ago are now uh, in full burqa. 
with the accompaniment of a male relative. We're already seeing that eroded. Uh, the Taliban's trying to make a statement in Kabul. Some of the female news anchors have been allowed back on the television, and so they're potentially looking at something of a change. But I, I think we're already seeing forced marriages. Christian uh, leaders are being called by the Taliban members basically saying, look, we know where you are, we know what you're doing. Mm. And so if a bloodbath unfolds over the course of the next week or two, I think something like airstrikes will be necessary to kind of send a very strong message uh, to the Taliban, look, don't overstep your boundaries. Uh, but as you mentioned, what is done is done, and there are a lot of losses here. Yeah, it's certainly a call for us to pray for the safety of those there and um Wow, it's just hard to comprehend what we've seen. Uh, Dr. Glenn Doerr, Cedarville University, a pleasure to speak with you, sir. Appreciate your perspective, and thank you for being available to us today. You too. Thank you for having me. So everything is connected to everything when it comes to politics, and optics is everything. The optics on this are horrible. So the Biden administration now is trying to figure out a way to save face, steer your attention somewhere else, distract uh, from this. When a headline is bad, when all the headlines emanating from the headline are bad, there's only one solution, come up with a new headline. I just don't know if they have any options that can take away the stench of this. Uh, COVID, they have some allegiance on because there are you know half, roughly, of Americans who are still terrified of covid But even on that, it's going to be a problem for them because where we appear to be headed on COVID is that the test numbers for the Delta variant are going to be high. The, well, I was going to say loan, but one of the few things they've said that have actually, may actually, may, I'll use one of their words, may, likely, could, perhaps, will. No, they never say will. It's always could, likely, maybe, perhaps, kind of, we think, perhaps. If the Delta variant is super contagious, like they say, people are not going to be happy about being vaccinated and getting it because getting vaccinated was supposed to keep you from getting it and from getting it and spreading it. Okay, so that's not a good option. Is a third shot a good option? A third shot in eight, nine months? Like, I've never gotten a flu shot, but it doesn't strike me that they ever talk about getting a flu shot at any point on the calendar other than hmm, right in the winter, right before flu season. And you get it, and okay, you're good for a year, right? Till the next flu season, till they guess at what the flu variant's going to be. If this vaccine, quote-unquote vaccine, isn't, good even for a calendar year. And the numbers from Israel are that it isn't. The Pfizer vaccine is starting to, I'm not going to say fail because I'm sure it worked for a while, but the numbers from Israel, they're down to 40 per, forty to 50% effectiveness against infection. Still good to keep you from dying, which of course is the goal. Well, at least it's my goal. Uh, I think, you know, Jen Psaki's goal, Joe Biden's goal, Mike DeWine's goal. No reason for it to be partisan. It's Mike DeWine's goal. It's Bruce Vanderhoff's goal. It's uh, 
Franklin County health officials' goal. You can't get it. Yeah, but what if it's just a sniffle or a headache? or what? No, no, you can't get it. And now Pfizer wants you to get a third shot. And the uh, CEO of Pfizer, yeah, the CEO who told you that it would not allow you to get the Delta variant, which is proven to be false, now without a clinical trial, they're going to want you to get a third vaccine. Albert Borla, end of July, said that a third dose will be, he says, he's very, very confident it will increase your immunity levels. The problem is, we'd like to see a study. We'd like to see some data. We'd like to see some proof. They don't have it. The completion date for their clinical trial on a booster shot, the completion date is 2022. So keep taking it. Just keep taking it. Here, a third shot. Here, have a fourth. No, it'll help, really, honestly. Won't hurt a bit. It's good for you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 